This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him. Shout name him. You are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means, everybody shout, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born. Her son was born. And Joseph named him, and Joseph named him. Everybody shout Jesus. Jesus. God bless us. Please have a seat. If you join us for the very first time, we're in the third week of a series we've called Adore Him. We are noting how the various carols of Christmas and hymns, Christian hymns, uh, reflect different aspirations of adoration for the birth of Jesus. The last hymn that we just finished singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, happens to be one of my favorite hymns. Uh, It comes from, some people think it uh, comes from the uh, uh, 15th uh, century AD. There are others who argue it's even older than that. Uh, It was translated from Latin to English probably around 1861, we think. Uh, And it is often referred to as an Advent hymn. Everybody shout Advent. Advent. That's the season on the calendar. It's this season where we are reminded, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, uh, the coming of God in Jesus Christ through the birth. But we also look forward to what we call the second coming. Everybody shout second coming of Jesus. And here's, here's the point. No matter how raggedy life appears to be no matter how out of control the world might be perceived to be at various points in your life what we believe and know by faith is that the invisible hand of God is still in charge and at the ultimately all of human history has a destiny to end up at the feet of one called Jesus Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings uh, and so somebody tell somebody, God is still in charge. Shout it. God is still in charge. And so this Advent hymn celebrates it in the form of a prayer. Uh, not only the birth of Jesus, but it also invites us to look forward to the coming of Jesus. Notice the last verse of this. It's a, I love this last verse. It says, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, come, oh, King of nations, see the plural there, all nations, bind in one the hearts of all humankind, mankind. And then think about this next line in the context of the division and the polarization of our current culture. Watch this prayer. Bid all our sad divisions cease 
and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, let's celebrate that. That's a good news we're looking forward to. So this is a wonderful hymn. And this wonderful hymn frames for us today uh, what I want to call a remarkable prophecy. For it echoes the words of not only Matthew 123, but the prophecy behind Matthew 123 is really found in Isaiah 714. And, and there the prophet says essentially that uh, a virgin shall conceive a child and she shall bring forth and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it is this prophecy that actually shapes the expectations of the nation of Israel for many centuries. They didn't expect this prophecy to be fulfilled literally. They, they thought it was more of a figurative uh, fulfillment. For example, virgin also translates the young girl. And, and so they just assume it to be a young girl that will give birth to this child and this child will grow up. And he would become this great political leader uh, for which they use the term Messiah. Everybody shout Messiah. You can also trans call it Christ. Everybody shout Christ or the anointed one. And so they were looking for the Messiah, the Christ, this great political leader to come and, and kick off the uh, dominating powers that are, were holding Israel down and reestablish Israel as the great power of the world. And this, this, this Messiah was to come out of the lineage of David. This was the remarkable prophecy. Now, this remarkable prophecy, however, is uh, embodied as we read Matthew by an astonishing, everybody shout astonishing, I mean mind-blowing truth. Matthew takes this prophecy and Matthew says, look, it has been fulfilled. And it has been fulfilled, not figuratively, but literally. He says, first of all, the Jesus that I'm talking about, he is the Messiah. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Matthew, as he starts off writing, he starts off by saying, uh, th this essentially, he says, is the ancestral record of Jesus, the Messiah. And then in verse 18, as he, as he gets ready to kind of frame the birth of Jesus, he says, uh, uh, this is... Uh, uh, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Everybody shout Messiah. 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 So, so he said, look, when you see Jesus, this is the Messiah. And then he goes one step forward, further. He says, and not only is he the Messiah, he's not just some political leader. He's not just some preacher. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some religious teacher. But in fact, when you see Jesus, you have encountered Emmanuel because in the face and in the person of Jesus is God Almighty. That was an astonishing statement. Now, for some of us, this is like a barrier. It's, it's, uh, I heard one person said, if you can get past the barrier that the God who is revealed in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible in volcanoes and, and pillars of fire and and, and, and tornadoes, this power that causes people to fear. And yet here in Matthew, he, he shows up as a vulnerable baby and becomes human. 
that if in fact you can believe that miracle, then Jesus walking on water is nothing. Surely you can believe that. Feeding 5,000 is nothing. Come on now. Uh, 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 if you can believe that miracle that God shows up as a vulnerable, tender baby. Uh, Matthew says, now part of the barrier is that uh, we, we are not very familiar with the people who are telling us the story. If Matthew was here, he would say to you, uh, this is... This would have been hard. It was hard for him to believe because he was a Jew and Mary was a Jew. Joseph was a Jew. All the original apostles, disciples were Jewish. And for the Jewish nation, uh, believing that God shows up in, in humanity as a human being would have been the most difficult, almost impossible thing for them to believe. For uh, they saw God as high and holy and could not be contained in one place. And they thought of God being so holy that they would not even uh, say or spell or write his name. That when they came to, to the word Yahweh, uh, they would not write it. They would substitute it with Adonai, which ultimately got translated into Jehovah, from which we get the word Jehovah. But it is really a substitute for the word Yahweh. Everybody shout Yahweh. And they thought of God so holy that they would never say it or write it. And so this notion of God showing up in, as a human being was inconceivable. The apostle Paul uh, 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 was so put out by this Jewish scholar that he actually led an effort of arresting and murdering Christians who proclaimed this. Paul did because it was blasphemy. Heresy. That's how unbelievable it was. But Matthew would say, what happened to me, Matthew would say, is I got to know Jesus. And he just started acting like he was God. Come on, somebody, come on, shout. Say, say he acted like God. He says, Matthew would say, look, I was a tax collector and he invited me to follow him. And, 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 and I wasn't really quite sure, but, but I, I started following him. And, and I, you know, I stayed with him for three and a half years. I was there when he taught. I was there and I saw with my own eyes these miracles. And by the way, I knew Mary. Mary, Mary was, we would, we would stop by Mary's house whenever we passed through Nazareth. And, and, and there Mary would join us along the way. And, and on the other side of resurrection, Mary would be a part of our group of 120 people who would give Give birth to uh, to the church, so I knew Mary. Mary Mary shared with me early on this story about this virgin birth. Now I had some suspicions initially. God impregnating, really? Somebody shout, really? I, I, I like Joseph in the text. I told you all last week. I can relate to Joseph. I I have for years. I've tried to put myself in this in Joseph's shoes. It's, it's like if Rhonda came to me, my wife, and she said to me, "I'm pregnant," and God did it. I love that girl, you know, a thousand times. And, and, but, but if the girl told me that, I, I might would be acting like Joseph, who said he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. He was just trying to find a quiet way. <laughs> so it makes sense to me that the only thing to change Joseph's mind is an angel showed up. Come on now. And the angel said, hey, she's telling you the truth. I had to straighten me out. An angel. And what Matthew is saying is, I knew Mary. She shared all this. And I was perhaps suspicious initially, but Jesus started acting like God. 
I mean, I was there when he took uh, a, a few loaves of bread and some fish and he fed 5,000 men plus women. He said, I saw that. He said, I, I was standing around when, he, when, when there was a dead fella, a little boy, a boy on the, on the back, and he, he walked by and touched the thing. And the boy got up and, and I, I, Matthew said, I was there. I was, I was the first to run. I was there. <laughs> I, I was there when, when, he, when, he, when he encountered people with evil within them and he evicted the demon and delivered the person I was there. He said, but really what got my mind is that I was there when he crucified. I, I, I escaped and, and hid and, and I knew he was dead. But three days later, we were in a locked room and do you know this dead Jesus that I thought was dead? showed up in a locked room I was there and for the next 40 days I had encounters with him and 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 so in retrospect come on now as I write this text I'm here to tell you that it is not a myth it is not mythology I'm here to tell you that the Jesus who was born who died who rose from the dead is in fact the Messiah he is in fact the very face and being of God in among us By the way, Paul would later write, after he had an encounter with this Jesus, he would later write in Colossians 1.15 that this Jesus who he was arresting and killing people for proclaiming that he was God, Paul would later write, he, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. And then in chapter 2, look at it, it says, the invisible of the invisible God, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creations. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he will go on to say that in Christ, this, this anointed one we know as Jesus, lives all the fullness, not part, not a third, not a fourth, but ever shall all, all the fullness of God in a human what made Paul change his mind? He's killing people, putting people in jail for believing this. He met him. He had an encounter. Now, there's one little insight here I want to bring up. Then I'm going to really get to the, that's all my stuff that I want to get laid out. But now we get really get excited. Some of you, there's, a, there's an extrapolation that we can make from this notion. As Matthew writes uh, in verse uh, 18, he says his, his mother was named Mary. She was engaged to Joseph. But, if I shout but, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, he's saying this is a literal thing. She had no sex. It was an impossibility. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's this notion that, that God uh, worked a miracle and brought a new life inside of her. Well, now there's an extrapolation that we can make. One of the barriers that keep people from believing in Jesus is that they think that their old life is so raggedy and so broke and so sinful and so dirty that even God can't change them. And yet... I remember my granduncle who adopted me, I, who raised me. He shared a story. He divided his life into two eras. Part of his life was B.C., before he met Christ. The other one was A.D., after he had been delivered by Christ. 
And he shared with me the before as a little kid growing up. And he told me, he said he was raised by his grandmother, didn't know his father, didn't know his mother. He grew up with anger in him inside of a context of real racism and all that stuff. And so he was a brawler and a fighter. He would haul park work by the day and he would get drunk at night. And he was just an angry, uh, uh, torturous of a man. And then he said in this little town they had what we call revival. I talked about that last week uh, in one of our congregations. And, and they, they used to, they used to um, invite you if you were in this revival seeking salvation. You'd have to have what they call a praying ground. And, and daddy tells a story how he, he went out into the woods and, and he was praying. This is, this, this would be my language. He was asking Jesus for a miracle. He was saying, if you love me and if you claim me, he used the word if you'll save me. But here's what he really meant. If you love me, and if you can turn my life around, I, I, I need you to show me right now. And daddy would say, this is my language, but he said that in the middle of that, he had a revelation. And the revelation that he had as he was thinking about his, old, his broken life, all of the holes that was in his life, it was, as though, it was as though Jesus showed up and Jesus took off, listen to me, took off the robe that he was wearing, Jesus was wearing, and draped it around daddy. Come on now. And when, when, when daddy turned around and noticed that Jesus had put the, his robe of righteousness around daddy, then he realized, come on now, that Jesus was going to interact with him not based on the brokenness of his life, but based on the righteous robe that he had surrounded him in. Y'all see what I'm trying to say. Come on now. And then he had a revelation. Come on now. And daddy says that in that moment, his hands look new. His, his, his feet look new. And, and he came out of that and started preaching the gospel that Jesus can save anybody and change the trajectory of his life. And because of that, come on now, he was able to open his heart and his doors and I showed up and he raised me come on and because he became who God delivered him to be I'm here to preach to you today the same message that Jesus can save anybody new life can occur in old impossibilities now that didn't become perfect you, you, you could you could, you could sneak up on the wrong side of his anger from time to time. But I guarantee you, the man he described, I never saw. He became, while he never became perfect, he sure enough became somebody different than he was. That's what the Christmas story offers to us. So one of the things that bears is this notion that, that I, God can't change me. But if he did that to Mary, what can he do to you? Whew. All right. A third barrier is the image of God. Everybody shout image. Image, image. How we, how we see God. Now, many of us may not know that the Bible does not give us a description of Jesus. There's nowhere in the Bible you'll find a description of what Jesus looked like. As a matter of fact, for the first three centuries, uh, the, the early church would not allow any pictures of Jesus to be drawn for fear that those pictures would be turned into idolatry. But ultimately, in 400 uh, AD, in the Byzantine uh, world, they settled on an image. And then later on, Michelangelo took that image and expanded 
it. And, and it reflects the fact that there's, there's, a, there's an urge in all of us. We kind of want to know what Jesus looked like. So, for example, they, they, they found this uh, towel that they believe once covered Jesus, and they think it has the imprint of Jesus' face here. And during the 13th century, they found this, and, and some people say, well, this, this is an image, but there's a whole lot of debate about whether this is authentic or not. But it suggests that there's a deep desire to know what Jesus looks like. Then Michelangelo came up with the most recognizable photo of Jesus, this one right here. And, 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 and when we see this, we say, well, this probably is inconsistent with the historical Jesus because we know that the historical Jesus was a Middle Eastern, and this is a European. Somebody say amen. Just track with me, track with me. Uh, I got your attention. I knew I'd get you. Uh, 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 this is European, and, 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 and he's a Middle Eastern. And if you know anything about Israel, you know that they, they run the gamut, really, of, of, of complexion from uh, the, the, the African Ethiopian Jew uh, that now lives in Israel by tens of thousands and, and trace their heritage all the way back to some to Dan, some to the to the relationship between Solomon and the queen of Sheba, who is the queen of, of Ethiopia, to uh, people who, are, who, who, are, who look very, who look European. The suggestion is that Jesus was probably somewhere in the middle. But Michael gives us this, and you don't, don't get upset with Michael. Tell somebody, don't get upset with Michael. I've heard all kinds of things about Michael to be talking about, but Michael was catching, he, he, he probably said, I don't know what the historical Jesus looked like, but, but I've, I got the theological truth, right? And the theological truth is that, is that God, uh, Jesus invites all of us, watch this, to look for him through our own eyes. And so this is how he looks in Michael's eyes. But then, let's just roll through. Uh, then the other cultures begin to wake up and they say, you know what, we're not locked into Michael's image. And so the African culture, they show this. They say, this is how he looks through our eyes. Come on now. And the next one, roll to the next one. And the Latino culture sees this and say, this is how he looks through our eyes. Come on, next one, next one. And, and the Chinese culture sees this and say, this is how he looks through our eyes. Come on, right, the next one. And, and the Indian culture sees this and they say, this is how he looks through our eyes. Come on now. And, 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 and God is celebrating in heaven because at the end of the day, he says, all right, y'all getting the point. Come on now. None of y'all were there when I showed up. But I want all of you to look for me through your eyes. All right, now here's an insight. Once you see him through your eyes, don't get trapped because he's so much more than what you see. And I like how First John says this, uh, when Jesus appears, I shall not know what he looks, but this one thing I know, that when he appears, I will be just like him. What he's saying is I'm going to be able to look at Jesus and see a reflection. Whatever my race. Isn't that good news? Oh, y'all celebrate that. That's just, come on, I just moved some. Somebody said, I, don't, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe in Jesus because I, I don't trust that image. Come on now. I just, we just work with that. Find him through your eyes. All right, now here's the last point. Everybody say, tell the person, say, wake up now, wake up. <laughs> tell them you don't want to miss this last point. <laughs> there is the astonishing truth that Matthew reveals. And then there is what I call the great adoption. Everybody shout adoption. Adoption. 
It's in the text. Notice in Matthew 1, verse 1. The writer begins with Abraham. and He's tracking through 42 generations the lineage of Jesus. Because the prophecies say that Jesus is going to be, he's going to come through the lineage of, out of the house of David. That's why they keep referring to Joseph as David. Notice how the writer writes. He says, this is the record of ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah descended of David and of Abraham. And then he proceeds to kind of walk it through. He says, now Abraham was the father of Isaac, and, and Isaac was the father of uh, Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah. And it just goes down, goes down, goes down. But when he gets to verse 16, there's a disruption. Watch what happens. He says, Jacob, this is another Jacob from the one that we knew 41 generations earlier. Jacob was the father of Joseph. And you would think it would then say, according to the pattern, and Joseph was the father of who? Jesus. But does it say that? No, it says the father of Joseph, the husband of who? And Mary gave birth to who? Who is called the what? And what the writer is saying is that Jesus is the son of God. He is not the son of Joseph. Well, how does Jesus get into the lineage if Joseph is not his daddy? Well, you got to go to verse 21 when the angel is talking to Joseph. And notice in verse 21, here's what the angel says. He says, he, he says to him, he says, he says, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary uh, as your wife. Uh, this, what has happened in her, uh, has been done by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and she will have a son and you are to, here it is, you are to what? Stop. In the Jewish context, the way that a father would, would establish claim over his family and establish claim over his children is that he had the unique right to name the child. Now, he, Joseph could not pick the name because the angel says that the name of Jesus, come on now, pre-exist eternity so you got to give him the name that he has however we're going to allow you the authority of naming him which was tantamount to saying we're going to let you adopt him tell somebody did you know Jesus was adopted he was adopted and because Joseph adopts Jesus that's how Jesus gets into the lineage, y'all ain't listening to me, of David's line. And so when you get to verse 25, it's very important that you read it very closely, verse 25, because at the end of the day, because here's what it says. It says, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, 25. But he did not have sexual relationship with her until what? Her son. Come on now, because he's her son right now, was born. But here's the transition. And Joseph... Shout adoption. Oh, good God of mine. I told you it was worth you showing up for. Let me talk this through. I, I, I think there's at least three groups of people here that I want to speak to as we close this out. One, uh, in America, 125 kids, 125,000 kids a year are adopted. And I think there are some parents here 
who cannot have physically your own child. You've been presented with the option of adoption, but you have concluded that if you adopt, the child will not feel authentically yours. And so you've kind of decided not to. I think there's potentially another group here who have adopted, but I'm an adopted kid, so I can speak to this, and I can tell you that adopted kids, because of post-traumatic stuff and because of being disconnected from their birth parents, can become some of the most difficult kids to raise. I was one. And so some of you have adopted kids, but because they have become so difficult and some of them may have rejected you, you are now second guessing and concluding maybe you made a mistake for adopting. And then I think there's some kids here who are growing up are already adults and you are wounded by adoption rather than being blessed by adoption. Are y'all tracking with me? All right, let me, let me lift some insight from this text. First of all, if Joseph can adopt Jesus, who we learn in chapter 13, verse 55, there were more brothers, he had additional brothers and additional sisters who were all natural of the context, but if Joseph is instructed to adopt Jesus, I want to say to every parent, God would declare to you, even if you got your own kids, it's all right to adopt. There is no nobler event, come on now, than to become the Joseph or the, or, 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 or the female Joseph in somebody's life. Or somebody else you've adopted and, and it's been you think it didn't work out and, and I just want to suggest to you that when you are faithful doing God's will your task is to do the best you can to love and you leave the rest to Jesus and it, it, you may be in heaven before all that stuff works itself out come on now but don't you ever don't you ever regret come on now acting like Joseph in the context and stepping forward and adopting kids who I would argue uh, who in, in many ways Jesus is alive in kids that needs to be adopted and then there's some kids here who was like me let me tell you about two concerns I had growing up adopted. The first concern I had was the, in, the lack of familiarity favoring of my grand aunt uncle. I didn't look like them. And when you grow up in a house where you don't look like the family, you feel like, come on now, a second class kid. Not because you've been treated that way, but because the way we are designed, we can't see ourselves reflected in our folk who are raising us. So my, my granduncle, I used to try to find a way to identify. And so my granduncle, who broke his back when he was a young man, would walk like this in his 70s. And so what I decided to do was I was going to at least, well, I couldn't look like him, but I could walk like him. Come on now. So here I am, 14 years old, walking like. 
on now. And then the Lord showed me an insight that blew my mind. Said, Herman, you do not need to favor physically your father, your granduncle, or your granduncle in order to belong. Don't replicate the physical feature. Replicate the love in his heart. Y'all, they say, come on now. And, 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 and now when I think about it, that's what happened, y'all. Come on now. My granduncle and auntie, they were generous. They, they were sold out to the gospel. Uh, they were hospitable. And, and, and now when I look at my life, I discover that that's been replicated in my heart. Oh, if I might just drop this point in here. I talked about the image of Jesus a few moments ago, right? Well, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what's most important is not that you look like him in his features. Y'all ain't listening to me. What's most important, come on now, is that you replicate his heart, that you love the way Jesus loved, that you forgive the way Jesus forgives, that you, that you have trust and faith the way Jesus did. People look at you and say, there go Jesus follower. They're not referring to physical features. Oh, let me give you another insight. I'm trying to help some adopted kids here as we close this thing out. Listen, the other thing was I would cry at night, six, seven, eight years old. And I'd cry. And the reason I'd cry, I'd talk out, because my biological daddy rejected me, said I wasn't his. My biological mother gave me to my grand aunt to raise. I was scarred, so I had all kinds of social stuff. And I'd be, I was laying down and say, God, why you do this to, to me? Why you let this happen? I didn't do anything to anybody. Why I've got to go through this? And, and, and somewhere along the way, in my early preteens, the Lord showed me another revelation. He said, Herman, you're focusing on the wrong side of adoption. You're focusing on who gave you up. You are focusing on this notion of rejection. But do you not understand that the real power is in recognizing who chose you? now even when you have biological kids some of it was by accident y'all you know you didn't try you weren't intending to it was an accident and even if it's by design you can't pick it's a boy or it's a girl but when you adopt a child come on now my grand aunt knew I was scarred they had they could anticipate problems coming out of that at two years old I had to get a blood transfusion I almost died they was aware of all of that and knowing all of that good God Almighty they still chose me that's a healing message y'all alright let me hurry up because I'm running out of time do you know that the adoption is so powerful that it ultimately becomes the chief Christian motive you see let me ask you a question I asked you how did Jesus get into the lineage of David when in fact Joseph was not his biological father the answer was he was what so now let me ask you how do you and I get into the lineage of a righteous Jesus uh, Ephesians answered the questions for us watch it in Ephesians uh, uh, 1 
uh, beginning at verse 4 and 5. Listen to what he says. Paul writes these words. You know the one who was killing folk earlier because then he met Jesus. He writes these words. Even before he, God, made the world, God loved us. Hear the word. You see it? Everybody shout. And what? Chose us in Christ. I mean, draped around Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Watch this next verse. Come on. And God decided in advance before you existed and I existed before we had our first fall and our first sin. He knew all that and he decided in advance. There it is to what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. How? This is the Christmas message. Through Jesus Christ who poured out his blood and shed his life to become a garment to wrap us in and give us a fresh start. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great what? Oh, I just said I go home. I just thought I'd tell you, if you're in Jesus and if you're part of the community, you're in an adopted family. I'm so happy to meet my adopted brother right here and my adopted brother right here and my adopted sister right here. Self family. Self family. Self family. Give God a hand, praise.